0: New York City has long been known for its bustling nightlife scene. People dressed to the nines, packed into posh clubs, dancing the night away, jazz musicians performing before more intimate crowds at venues in Greenwich Village. But the coronavirus pandemic has put the city that never sleeps to bed, leaving its vibrant nightlife scene in a deep slumber. Even as the city continues to reopen, it's unlikely nightclubs, music venues, and performance spaces will return to normalcy anytime soon. I'm George Boldarchy, and this is Cityscape. A group of individuals and venues associated with New York City's nightlife scene have launched an emergency relief fund to help venues as they struggle through the COVID-19 pandemic. Coming up, more on NYC Nightlife United.
1: Really, the entire industry is not able to function as it once could. And it's been very difficult responding to all the challenges that COVID's brought to us. It's destroying our industry.
0: But first, my interview with JC Diaz, president of the American Nightlife Association. JC, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So how would you describe the state of the nightlife industry across the nation right now?
2: Well, we're a little distraught right now. Uh, you know, there's a, it's a slow reopening. Obviously, with the nightlife industry, we're the first to close, and I'm more than likely the last one's to reopen. Uh, so I know that some restaurants are, due to mitigation measures, are allowed to open up a lot more now. Uh, thank God for the delivery of alcohol; It's a lot of revenues to you know uh, to be generated. Um, but bars are now slowly uh, opening up again across the different states, uh, but nightclubs and live music venues are still yet to reopen.
0: Yeah, hard to imagine going to a nightclub and dancing side by side in a crowded environment with other people.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, you know, there are other venues that are have an outdoor space and. You know, right now, what we're looking at is how uh, the issue is trending across the globe to see what mitigation measures that we ha- don't already have in place, how we- can we help facilitate the these different venues and these different live music events? Uh, you know, and it- there's just some ingenuity there. I mean, you have someone like Garth Brooks who says they want to do a tour in drive ins, allowing people to party in their car. I know that Germany did it first, and that's pretty awesome. So, you know, anyway, that people want to get out, right? People want to get out and have fun, listen to some music. Uh, it had some social vibrancy, even if it's just in, the, in, in sitting in your car.
0: Talking about getting creative, I saw this video online. I think it was from Slovakia where they used ropes to create little boxes. So they separated people using ropes. They were about six feet apart from each other. They were dancing. It was a rave.
2: They had masks
0: on. There was a DJ. People were having fun.
2: I did see that. Yeah. I think. You know, just ingenuity now, right? I mean, I love what America's coming up with. I mean, they came out with the new version of a defibrillator. Uh, there's so many cool technologies that are coming out. So uh, if we could take these innovations maybe from other industries and you know, purpose using for, for this industry, I mean, let, let's do it.
0: What are some of the more creative things you've seen at bars and restaurants across the US?
2: Um, I think the digital menu. I think that's probably the, the one that's having the biggest impact, right? Uh, it's contactless payments, uh, where people can uh, either reserve their table ahead of time before they come into a space. They can reserve the food that they want to order before they come into a space. So it, it also allows the venues to turn tables a lot faster. It allows them to clean the tables before the next guest sits down. Uh, I think that's probably the one that's been most impactful. And it's been lowering some of the overhead costs for a lot of different venues as well.
0: Yeah, so important to take these steps, right, to get creative, because so many people are relying on these jobs from bouncers to bartenders to cooks. So many people need this work.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at it from our industry, 15, it employs 15 million people, and 7 million of them are currently unemployed. And the rest that are working are more than likely underemployed, because there's obviously not enough hours in the day, or there's not enough tips because people aren't coming into venues. Uh, as, as we slowly progress and start to open up, uh, we hope that more patrons will be willing to spend more money. and you know, Obviously, everybody's looking for a good time, either a bite to eat or a drink and so we're hoping that you know we can keep our industry alive.
0: Here in New York City, our restaurants were allowed to sell alcohol to go during the pandemic, but it's uncertain if that's something that will be allowed to continue going forward. Do you think that's something that should be made permanent or at least go longer term even as restaurants open up to in-establishment dining and outdoor dining?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, we've gone where four states were allowing for alcohol delivery, right? to where now 32 states actually allow for alcohol delivery. I think this is going to be a lot more prevalent now, especially because we, we are expecting a second wave, right? So we're preparing to do whatever we can right now to kind of, uh, I guess, prolong this, if you will, right? Everybody's talking about herd immunity, and I think that's going to be highly effective, right? And so uh, the more healthy people we can get infected with COVID, right, they, they'll, they'll be the ones that will survive. Right, But we have to look at those people that have a weak immune system, those people that can't go outside. So we have to be a little bit more conscientious as a guest to make sure that not only are we uh, going to pass disease uh, to those people at home, our families and our friends, but more importantly, our colleagues at work.
0: Are there other regulations you think need to be lifted or adjusted to help bars and restaurants, the nightlife industry survive?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we got to reinstate some of these tax deductions for food and beverage uh, you know, If we can get people to come out and spend money and still take that deduction, uh, that's going to be impactful. Uh, we obviously have to reinstate the deductions for lost ticket sales. That's going to help live music venues survive this downtrend. A lot of these venues, if, if in the next six months they're not able to see an, an uptrend in attendance, uh, 90% of these venues will close down permanently and will not survive. Uh, the addition of uh, business interruption insurance to include uh, national emergencies, I think that's, gonna, that's impactful and also uh, blocking personal liability clauses in in commercial lease contracts.
0: I know some establishments have set up crowdfunding campaigns to help pay employee salaries and such. Are you aware of those types of campaigns? And if so, are they helping?
2: Absolutely. I've been been supporting. I've been actually donating to some of the the top venues that I frequent. Uh, Whenever I can, when I order food, I try to tip highly. Uh, You know, 20% is an impact for someone that's, you know, I get it. You're not at the venue. You're not eating there. But I want to keep those venues alive because they serve good food, right? It's part of the patronage. And so if I can do my, my small contribution of 20%, that's impactful. So I'm just kind of doing whatever I can to kind of keep, help these uh, venues stay alive.
0: When we talk about getting creative and reinventing, do you think nightclubs should move more toward food and bottle service for small parties at a greater scale to keep afloat while they can't allow large groups to mingle amongst each other?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's 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 an array of things that venues can do right now. Um, I know that some... St- States, uh, with the the blessing of the Department of Health and ABC, are allowing for a temporary food license so that these venues can essentially serve food and serve alcohol. And that's that's either delivery or part of the catering. Uh, That's another thing. Uh, I know that that some businesses, some companies are doing uh, uh, private events and so they're utilizing these venues because a lot of hotels are not available, right? A lot of these ballrooms are not available, but these venues are already set up for the audio and the video capabilities. They already have the seating arrangements. So there's there's uh, a different use for these venues that we can utilize right now to kind of keep these venues alive. Uh, And then From another uh, side of it, I guess you can look at it, is uh, to keep the music industry alive and keep these venues alive. There has been a a, a collaboration where you can do music licensing to do live broadcasts, live streaming. So I know that a lot of venues have been doing that. uh, And it's a good way for obviously branding of the venue themselves and keeping the the artists also uh, alive and, and, and a way to generate revenue now.
0: Could restrictions lead to an underground nightlife scene and one that might not be super safe because people are just looking for ways to get out and socialize?
2: It's happening now. Um, And a couple of months ago, there was actually a underground club in San Francisco. The regulators there had basically found out about it and shut it down. But I think it's going to be a lot more prevalent now, right? Uh, There'll be people doing house parties. I know that uh, what I've been hearing from law enforcement, they're shutting down very large house parties, especially in college towns. And and I get it. People want to go out. They want to drink. They want to have a good time. But we have to make sure that we do that safely, right? Uh, Nobody wants to prolong this for another two years, right? But the more safety measures that we can implement now, the more uh, courtesy, that any guest can extend to not only themselves, but those people around them, uh, the the shorter this thing will, will last.
0: Talk to me more about what your organization is doing right now to help the nightlife industry along.
2: Absolutely. And so, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth in regards to what we can do, right? So there's obviously a promotion of a lot of these fundraisers, uh, obviously the, the lobbying efforts in regards to all the five points that we talked about, to rolling back some of these tax benefits. Uh, one of the things that we just launched recently is the nightlifeindustry.net. And it's a way for a lot of these venues that are suffering um, or, or, or even trying to make a comeback, right? It's, it's, you can put a job listing on there. You can sell equipment that you're not using. If, if, you're, if you want to get out of the business, you want to sell your business or you want to sell your building, you want to sell your property, there's a way for you to put it out there. If, if you're just an individual, uh, you know, I know a lot. I collect a lot of cool, like, you know, memorabilia from the bar industry, right? So some, some of these companies are no longer uh, around. But, you know, it's, it's basically like, also like a Craigslist where you can sell some of this stuff if, if you want to. Um, and, you know, with, without charging crazy fees. And then the other biggest impact that we're having right now is we're looking, we're working with other companies to where we can launch this digital menu. Uh, we can eliminate some of these exorbitant delivery fees, uh, hosting fees, whatever, any kind of crazy fees that people are charging now to make sure that these venues go into a digital realm. Uh, we're trying to eliminate that. Uh, and, and, you know, and Harvard Touch is actually our partner with that. Uh, They did an amazing job to introduce these contactless payments, to introduce this digital menu. Uh, And so what we're trying to really do is trying to lower the cost uh, of operating and increase revenues by driving traffic.
0: JC, thanks so much for your time.
2: I want to thank you for the opportunity, and I hope uh, we can uh, survive th- this this downtrend.
0: J.C. Diaz is president of the American Nightlife Association. Many nightclubs, music venues, and performance spaces throughout New York City are hanging by a threat because of the coronavirus pandemic. Enter NYC Nightlife United, an emergency relief fund set up to help venues during these challenging times. I talked with Rick Leichunk. He's the founding partner of the fund and the owner of Ad hoc, a concert promoter based in Brooklyn. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, glad to be here. So why don't you start off by giving us a state of the nightlife industry right now from your vantage point?
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I have to say it's it's really tough for folks in nightlife right now on the small business side for people who um, are promoters and venues that host events year-round um, to their employees, to artists. I mean, really the entire industry is not able to function as it once could, and it's been very difficult responding to all the challenges that COVID's um, brought to us. It's destroying our industry. It's created so many hurdles for for everybody involved that um, that it's been it's just been really tough for people to hold on. I think that there's uh, there's been a lot of optimism among New Yorkers in the way that the city has tackled the crisis and how successful it's been. Uh, And I think it's given us a a lot of people hope, which has been excellent, but with recent developments on how uh, COVID cases are spiraling elsewhere, what it's doing is damaging the national touring circuit, which is really where um, a lot of the big-ticket artists that bring people together are, are coming from. And when agents and artists can't route dates into New York City, then New York programmers and venues are not going to be able to uh, operate in the same way that they're used to or produce as many events, uh, provide for their workers or, or foster a, a community. It's a, really, it's a nationwide crisis uh, in, in this way for touring.
0: Nightlife venues were really among the first to close and unfortunately they will be among the last to reopen because yeah. of COVID
1: absolutely um we I, I i'm hard pressed to think of other industries that will be hit harder than the nightlife community
0: how are folks surviving right now without the business paying the rent keeping things going i,
1: I you know everybody's obviously doing their best um i think that there's a lot of people that are looking to federal and local government for support on, you know, obviously on the federal side, PPP is a program that many people are trying to leverage. Obviously um, it's been tough on the business owners who are constantly having to adapt to new, new sets of information that comes out that, that come out around forgiveness and how to spend that, um, that money. Um, you know, the EIDL loan uh, is also something that's pretty, pretty positive on, on the whole, but also very difficult to navigate. But unfortunately, um, you know, assistance from the government is somewhat is, is limited to the community because there's a lot of people in the nightlife community that kind of operate in a different way. Um, I think that a lot of the community can be distrustful of, of, uh, of the government, both federal, state, and local, all of them. And you know, oftentimes, a lot of these communities are off the grid. Their, um, you know, their DIY venues or, or folks like that who haven't established um, formal businesses. And um, not only do they, a lot of people, not have an understanding of how to operate their business because a lot of people in the nightlife community are very vision based. They're not folks who uh, that you know they they don't start doing what they do because they have an excellent business plan. In fact, most people don't know what the hell they're doing on the business side um in um in in music and um arts and and recreation in in a lot of ways and i think it's that's actually like a very that's a problem that is going to continue to to hurt the community at large um but it's um yeah it's just it's it's very difficult for individuals to get by um those who don't keep great records or in good standing um are won't be able to get assistance and ultimately people are trying to look to their their own communities for support doing gofundmes and uh and stuff like that which has been i think the response has been really really positive um for a lot of those things but one of the things that we actually wanted to do with nightlife united is we wanted to try and consolidate a lot of support for the community at large we feel that the Grassroots campaigns around, you know, that each small venue or artist or community are doing uh, Have been really effective and are really positive, but there's also something to be said for um, creating a magnet for uh, awareness and uh, fundraising around this cause which
0: is to keep Keep the community going. Yeah, so tell Um, me more about Nightlife United and how it works.
1: Yeah, Nightlife United was uh was founded um I, I think mid uh mid March there was a um a Zoom call that was thrown by the um the by the artists by the New York Artist Coalition uh who were really instrumental in uplifting the cabaret law um a couple of years back um put out an open call for folks uh to try and work on some kind of project um to get to you know, raise funds and gain awareness because, uh, I knew when start, when things started to look bad, that we would get lost in the shuffle, um, as our industry often does. And I think that our challenges are really unique, uh, and and different from a lot of other businesses, uh, because, uh, the heart of what we do is, is community based and, uh, it's really difficult to foster a community with uh, you know social distancing guidelines, limitations on how people can use space and share space so even even like at that early stage, it felt like something that was important to do because um we we, we knew that nobody was going to do it for us, even though everybody you know a few people are very mean very well um, and try to serve the city of New York as best they can, but you know when it's not there, you got to just build it. So yeah. So basically, we um, we we assembled the core members from that Zoom call. Um, we partnered with uh, Solo Foundation, which is a local local nonprofit uh, that's been active for the for several decades, and they're acting as our fiscal so that we can take uh, donations um, and also. Gain some awareness, Um, and um, right now we're really just in a big fundraising push to try and get support for you know for those who need it most.
0: How much have you raised so far? Uh,
1: We've we've raised quite a bit, actually. I think the response has been incredible. Um, I'm a little I'm hesitant to um, share anything uh, any particular number, but
0: but people are responding.
1: Yeah, people are responding, and that's and that's really been. The crucial thing, and I think even more, uh, I think one of the most important things for Nightlife United is actually is is reaching the people that haven't already donated to the communities that they're already directly within, like with their GoFundmes. I mean, ultimately, I think like the places that we that Nightlife United is trying to tap into are mostly actually like companies who can contribute large donations or or work with us to you know produce activation, online activations and sponsorships and stuff like that, because, you know, I I think it's, it's, it's certainly going to take a community to do it. But the other reality is that everybody is going through a really tough time and it's, the industry needs, needs, needs a lot of support. So uh, we're certainly relying on those companies to, to partner with us.
0: Who's eligible for funding under your program?
1: We're we're helping out small businesses that are that present live music. These would be uh, I I forget the NAICS codes, but they're essentially event um, event planners with facilities and event planners without facilities is going to be a primary focus. Obviously, that's just the tip of the iceberg, um, and we're also developing initiatives for um, employees that work at these venues uh, and promoters artists and things like that. Um, I think that we, uh, this has been a learning experience for everybody uh, involved. And, um, you know, when we launched, we um, we were going to go about it in awarding support in a way where uh, it would be very sort of mechanical and first come first serve, because we were aware of the kinds of conflicts of interest that were at play where, you know, essentially we're, we're a group of people within the community raising money for people beyond us and there are clear conflicts of interest about how that's rewarded um, and how it's distributed. So uh, ultimately right now we're in the midst of establishing a committee um, of folks to, uh, to define uh, how funds are being distributed and we hope to open applications very soon. Um, as soon as we can, ultimately, to try and get people some help.
0: Talk to me more about the importance of these venues, why it is critical to help them stay afloat, and what they contribute to communities.
1: It's such a big question, honestly. I think um, it's important to support the independent nightlife community because the alternative is going to result in businesses shuttering and communities becoming disconnected with one another, um, and you're going to, it will foster a situation where the only presenters of uh, art and culture of this type, whether they're concerts, dance parties, etc., cetera, um, will be presented by the very large companies that, um, that do it globally, specifically Live Nation and AEG. Um, there was a notorious call um, or earnings call with Live Nation um, um, a couple of months ago where um, it was kind of hidden in there. Um, and it's a little bit, I think that people might miss it because it's a bit of like a dog whistle for people who are really deeply embedded on the business side of, you know, fostering the nightlife community. But it was asserted by Live Nation that Live Nation and AEG would be the only promoters who you can rely on surviving the pandemic. And what this means is that, uh, you know, this was a direct message to to agents and managers and artists that, you know, are a part of the decision-making process of artists who bring a lot of people out to say, you know, don't trust the independents to stay open. Do not put your future business there. Put it with us. And um, the ripple effect of that is very damaging um, because without those large touring shows, it's very difficult um, for businesses to continue uh, and it also even if there are larger artists that maybe aren't necessarily uh deeply embedded within the community, it has a true effect on. The, the smaller local artists, too, because then, you know, if the if the venues can't produce sold out shows with, you know, artists that are known nationwide uh, and draw tons of tickets, then um, the businesses that host the emerging talent that's not there yet, that only kind of draws their friends, like, you know, 20, 50, 100 people, Um, they won't have the opportunity to appear in front of larger audiences when, uh, when they play those events with larger artists and the businesses that host them won't be able to keep their businesses running to provide them with a platform either. And the whole thing kind of falls apart, um, with the, with the touring piece missing.
0: There's a big ripple effect there.
1: Yes. Yes, there is.
0: (laughs) Are you aware of venues that have already shuttered because of COVID that they won't come back? There
1: are several venues that are assessing their options. Um, and that's exactly why we're, we're, we're doing this, uh, and and trying to get some, some funds into the community. I'm specific ones for New York city. I'm a little hard pressed that have like publicly mentioned this, but ultimately, you know, we're looking at best case scenario. Likely, these presenters will only be operating at 25% legal capacity, which you know for for many of them the reality is also that they sell. Um, there, there's other un- unrelated uh, systemic issues with uh, being a leaseholder uh, in New York City, um, and one of them is getting an appropriate certificate of occupancy so you have a lot of venues that are actually quite quite large and uh to many people are would be operating within their opinion of, of of safety um but admit many more people on a routine basis and need to in order to survive and you know pay uh pay the real estate that it requ- that it requ- requires to to do this stuff so ultimately you have Venues that are used to hosting uh, 250 or 500 people, which is still kind of on the small side, um, but their CFOs can be as low as 74, despite how large they are, how many points of egress they have, and how safely they're operated. Um, And legally, you could have a 500 cap venue with a CFO of 74, and then they can legally only admit 25% of that CFO. And it's, it's like a, um, it's, it's a massive problem. It's, uh, COVID is certainly bringing to light uh, so many systemic issues with, uh, to light that haven't, that have kind of been like laying dormant, Black Lives Matter being a huge one as well.
0: What, if anything, are you hearing about how venues are looking to reinvent themselves when they are able to reopen things that will be completely different because of COVID. It's going to be important for
1: venues to adopt every safety guideline and precaution to keep their um, their audiences safe. Um, there's a lot of speculation over what that will mean for for patrons. You know whether that means pe- people will be um, getting their temperature taken before they enter um, an event, um, possibly having Uh, EMTs on site um, for for smaller events something typical for larger like two to two to five thousand capacity events you might have like an EMT around if it's like a EDM show that'll attract you know whatever people who are looking to do drugs or or whatnot Um, but yeah I think that the changes will be I think a, a higher awareness around safety precautions and I think that that's really positive and I'm interested to see how those precautions will affect people interacting with each other. Um, Even on like a personal scale, like very basic uh, safety precautions, uh, like, you know, not, not giving people hugs or handshakes and, you know, doing the foot tap or the elbow bump instead of, you know, having more physical contact is I, I, have I feel like I've noticed even just the difference that that has to connecting with people in real life. Um and I am concerned that maybe a little bit of that it's gonna be a little harder for people to connect um with these safety precautions, but we'll we'll see what happens.
0: What about the work that you do with ad hoc and how this is just affecting your day to day? Wow, I can't even imagine you must be idled because of this. I wanna say we had more than four hundred events confirmed
1: in March. There's maybe a couple dozen that have been definitively rescheduled for new dates and we're, you know, we're cooperating with artists um, and trying to coordinate on when they want to announce those and when it's safe and honestly when it's not tone deaf to do so because it's also not a good time to be, you know, it's not a good time for anybody to be promoting their own agenda, frankly, um, or their own self-interest or promoting tickets for events when there's so many things that are happening
0: all right rick anything that we didn't talk about that you'd want to add
1: um not not that i can think of i guess uh thank you so much for for having me and let me know if you need anything else from here
0: rick lichung is a founding partner of nyc nightlife united and the owner of ad hoc a concert promoter based in brooklyn more info about the emergency relief fund at nyc and that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bolarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks so much for listening.